Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff, and you guys, um, once again, first service was the same. The worship in here, you guys, it's like you really believe that stuff, right? You're just really worshiping, which makes me feel so at home, even though I don't know many of you, to, to walk into a place and hear my brothers and sisters singing worship to Jesus uh, just feels right at home. Uh, so thanks. Also, thanks for letting me interrupt your teaching schedule. Uh, you guys are going through that incredible book of Ephesians, and uh, that was originally what I was going to do, and then uh, ask for permission to take a little hiatus away from that, and uh, I, I hope that that's of God and that you get a lot out of that. But here's, here's the thing I'm going to do, even before we jump into the Word. Um, I'm going to shamelessly take this moment to beg for your prayers on behalf of myself and some others. So I'm going back to Zambia in Africa on Friday, and I make frequent trips uh, over there. We've been able to start a ministry called the Hope Center, which does a couple of things. One, it trains pastors, and I've got a picture of some of the pastors. Um, so this is the, the intake of students that we had just, just before. You see a couple other Mzungus, a couple other white guys in there with me. Uh, maybe recognize Mark Arendt and Ryan Hamby there. He directs Salt Company down uh, in Iowa City. Anyway, uh, th this picture was taken uh, almost two years ago because we graduate them uh, from this training. So these are rural pastors. They're out courageously planting churches, often on bicycle or hoofing it to the next village. Uh, but they don't have access to any kind of formal training. And so we're able to go in and offer them some training in, in this regiment. And then when they graduate, man, we throw a party. Like we rented these robes from a church and brought them with us and stuff so we could like adorn them. Because they just have so few finish lines that they're able to cross. You know what I mean? So when they're able to accomplish something, we just like throw a big Zambian party and it's chaos and it's awesome and they're wonderful. So we do some training of pastors. We're going to be doing that. But another thing is we go out into some deeper rural areas. And, and here's what goes on. Every church that is started, the pastors will say, you know, it's, it's great, the gospel's going out, but everywhere they go and start a church, there are orphans everywhere. It, it's, it's just a really dire situation in the country of Zambia, the number of orphans that are everywhere, mostly because of HIV, but just poverty, malaria, different things. So these churches at the epicenter of every church plant is they've got to figure out how to minister to, to all these orphans. So this, this picture is actually of a village called Kabansa Village that we were able to get to, and it's, it's just a really dangerous trek to get there, and it's, it's yeah, kind of scary. But we were able to take water there. Uh, that's, that's what's pictured here. There's Navas and his son Joe uh, there. Uh, we got water to this village, and now we're going back this time and hoping to establish a clinic for them so that uh, even they'd be able to bring babies uh, into this world more safely and so forth. But you guys, all this stuff is so far above my pay grade. I'm, I, I'm not qualified for any of this, nor I, we're taking a couple doctors. They know what they're doing. I'm going to take a couple doctors along with us from Iowa City, but I, I, at times I feel incredibly overwhelmed, but here's the reason we're doing it. You can't unsee some of the things that you see, right? And, and nobody else seems to be stepping up to do some of that stuff. So you're like, all right, God, totally inadequate, totally unqualified, but if that's what you're calling us to do, and so um, we're taking a, a team of people uh, to do all the above and to go out and help establish a clinic. And so if you guys would pray over the next couple of weeks that, A, we'd just be able to do that, that the rains would hold out, that we'd be able to get into this remote village to help these dear people, uh, that a church has been started there since water was gotten, a church has been started, we're going to worship with them. So two Sundays from now, I'm going to be worshiping in Kabansa Village with all these brand new believers. It's like the book of Acts. They just come to Christ and they're celebrating, so... Um, 
I want to pray and invite you guys to, to pray with me for what's going on in, in Zambia. So, yeah, let's pray. Lord, um, yeah, you, you know my heart, the, the level of unqualified that I feel, the task that seems so enormous. Um, but Lord, that's, that's when we just surrender to you. And, and actually, our, our adequacy comes from you. We're inadequate, but our adequacy comes from you, Lord, and you're able to do, just like we just sang, you're the provider. You're the one that, that is constantly going before us and supplying all of our needs according to your riches of the grace that you have for us in Christ Jesus. So would you meet us there in, in ways that go way beyond what we could have asked for or even imagined because it's you that's involved and not just our strength, our own ingenuity. It's you doing it, God. So if you could stir my brothers and sisters here in this room, if you could stir them to pray over the next couple of weeks for what you're doing in Zambia, for the sake of your people there, God, um, please do that. And uh, we lift this up to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, hey, one quick update from Iowa City. Uh, it's pretty cool. We... For the longest time, especially when Drew was there, uh, both Veritas Church and Soul Company met right there, kind of in the heart of the city. Um, but we've been able to build, finally, but it was a little ways out of town, this little town, Tiffin. Well, because of that, it was really hard for students to come out there to worship at Salt Company. And so this last week, uh, Ryan, the, the Salt Director, he went downtown and started knocking on some doors of some of these big palatial churches that are all around by the campus, right? Uh, but, but often just sit empty and asked, hey, can, can we have Salt Company down here? So one of them, this huge Methodist church, said yes. And so two Thursdays ago, the first time, Salt Company met right on campus in this Methodist church. And you guys, week one of meeting down there, 150 more students came to Salt Company than had been there the weeks before. Is that crazy? Like an immediate increase of like 100. Yeah, it's incredible. So... Then, shocker, they're, they're going to let us come back, even though we like invaded that place and packed it out. They're, so they're going to let us stay meeting on, on Central Campus, which is such a, just a cool gift. Um, so anyway, a little update there. But that experience that, that, um, that I just described of seeing all these big empty churches all around by the campus is not unique to Iowa City. That is actually the case here in Minneapolis. That is the case in every university town. Here's what went on. Back in the day, universities would begin and immediately churches would begin right alongside the universities. And so that's why often, if there, especially if there's a central campus, you'll literally see a ring, like an orbit of churches all the way around, very intentionally. It was, it was this cool moment where the church and the university were actually collectively working together to, to pour into university students. So I've got this, this quote um, I want to share with you. It says this, visit any university campus in the U.S. and you'll find a common phenomenon, a beautiful central campus surrounded by church buildings, representing a host of denominations. Those churches represent a day when the university and the church worked side by side in the development of our nation's future leaders. But something has happened. Those historic church buildings are often either abandoned or nearly so. They stand as haunting sentinels of a bygone day. Say, wow, who wrote that? <laughs> okay, I did. I actually wrote that as part of my dissertation. And nobody ever reads your dissertation. So now I'm just begging for it. Now I can say, oh yeah, hundreds of people have read my dissertation. Actually, I just read it to them. No, but I wrote my dissertation on this, uh, this very thing, you guys, that all over the nation, this is what's true, you guys, churches that were once passionate about the university and about university students 
have for one reason or another fled. They're gone. It's like a bunch of museums sitting there gathering dust or, or, or barely alive. Why is that? So even our church down in Iowa City called Veritas, that's, that's Latin for the word truth. And you see, probably around the University of Minnesota and St. Thomas, you'll see on, on buildings Veritas. That's because the very first university in the United States, Harvard University, their motto is Veritas. Their motto is, is, is truth. So you see the truth chiseled in limestone all around these buildings. But here's, here's the crazy thing about the Harvard motto when they got established. Here was the long version of the Veritas motto. Veritas Christo e Ecclesiae. In Latin, truth for Christ and the church. So think about that. Our founding university as a nation had as their motto, truth for Christ and the church. Not just education, education, truth for Jesus Christ. So, so what I'm saying is there was this symbiotic relationship. The university and the church worked together like a symbiotic relationship, like if you do biology, even chemistry. These two organisms are these two things that come together and are in interdependence with one another. They, they exist together, even though they're two different things. That's what was true about the university and the local church. It's not true anymore. Churches have fled, kind of abandoned. It seems more like the university has become so antagonistic to the church and honestly the church toward the university that they've kind of gone their separate ways and there, there we are in, in the relationship to the university we have today as churches. So here's what I'm saying. Salt City Church, it, whether you're brand new or maybe I'm just reminding you of something if you've been here since the beginning, Salt City Church became a church because of the university students in this city. And I don't know if, let me ask this, how many are university students? Can you raise your hand real high? Lift them real high. Look at this, look around. That's so awesome. I love it. Okay, so the reason this church even came into existence, you guys, is because of the number of university students that are in this city. Okay, now, um, when you, when you look at numbers of university students in a given city, like ra the ratio proportionally, Minneapolis is really strong, really high number of university students for a city of this size. So that became just a natural thing when Drew and others had it in their heart to come. But just know this, when you call it even Salt City Church, that's from Matthew 5, right? The, the salt of the earth, a city on a hill, Salt City. The idea that this would be an attraction point for students is at the epicenter of why Salt City Church is even here. So um, Salt City was planted because of the university students. And what I, what I want to show is that the Bible is really going to back up that missional impulse of this church family. So that's why this is such a different, like you guys are going through Ephesians down in Iowa City, we're going through Hebrews. Normally we take a chapter of the Bible, go through it. This is almost like a timeout. I want you to see why I believe the Bible wants to fuel that mission impulse of Salt City Church. Because I believe to really be that kind of church, we should not be a church like just with university students. There's a lot of churches that are established and university students come in. And so they're a church and they just, they're with some students, but not really intentionally. No, no, no. Nor should it be a church of university students. So there are some churches that are just like big salt companies. That's all they are is university students. And I'm saying, no, that's an imbalance also. We want to be the kind of church that is a church for students. And actually a church that was established because of students. 
So I want to show you from the Bible why I think that's a really important symbiotic relationship that we should have. Okay, and the first point is a pretty easy one. Salt City, the church, needs the salt company, really needs the salt company. I want you to go in your Bible now with me to Matthew 18. So if you've got a Bible or even an app, whatever, go to Matthew 18 with me if you would. And I want you to see a really important passage of why Salt City so desperately needs the salt company. So I'm going to start verse 1, Matthew 18. It says, At this time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, So who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. I love that last verse again, verse 5. Whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. What he's saying is if you want to advance in your faith, if you, if you want to increase in your faith, your, your, your stature as a Christian, become like a child. Now, I'm not going to say by, by analogy, oh, yeah, university children, students are like children. No, I'm not going to say that. What I'm going to talk about, though, is what they do bring to a church in their childlike faith, okay? University students have such fresh, beautiful, childlike faith, and I think it's contagious. I think a whole church gets infused with beautiful, childlike faith when they're around. And here's what I believe Jesus is pointing to when he's making this description of a, of a child and childlike faith. One is just a hunger for growth, a hunger for truth. Guys, I came to Christ as a university student uh, like 100 years ago. There were still universities back 100 years ago. That's where I came to Christ. I was a freshman at the University of Northern Iowa. When I came to Christ, and I still remember, you guys, the first Bible that I ever got. In fact, I still remember the moment that this guy took me to a Christian bookstore to buy me a Bible. And you guys, I remember saying to him as we're entering into this bookstore, I'm like, you people have your own bookstores? Like, I, was, I wasn't just blind to the truth of the gospel. I was blind to the whole Christian subculture. I didn't realize there were whole things called Christian bookstores. Or so we go to this Christian bookstore, I get my first Bible. I still have it back at my house because it's all worn and pages tattered and stuff. I remember the first time, like, you can underline in it. Like, I was so, like, so, it seemed so reverent, you know, that it's okay to underline and highlight and really get into it. But you guys, I hungered for the truth so much. When you're a brand new believer and when you're a university student that just gets on fire for Jesus, you're hungry, like a child, just hungering, devouring the, the word of truth, and it's contagious, right? There's another thing that children bring, and it's right there in verse 4, humility. Become humble like a child. Humility in the sense of dependence, right? Students understand how dependent they are, first of all, on Jesus for everything. I've made a mess in my life. You know, you've got to help me. I, I, I'm so dependent on you, dependent on other people, just this appropriate humility, Along with that is a surrender to Christ. You guys, I remember all of a sudden, I'd been charting my own course as a person, right? Deciding where I wanted to go, deciding what I wanted to do. And suddenly, now I met Jesus and his first name, right? The title, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his lordship meant everything. And so I reoriented everything in my life, just like the rest of these students, right? Everything is back on the table, I'm going to go in a whole different direction. I'm going to marry somebody completely different. Everything changed the moment I surrendered to Jesus Christ. My life, my future, everything. 
and a joy. There's just this pervasive joy among the students of Salt Company, guys. Like, in Luke 7, it says, He that is forgiven much, what? You remember? Loves much. He that's forgiven much loves much. When students come to Christ, they realize how much they've been forgiven. Like, guys, I was a a pot-smoking, womanizing, just idiot. I was in such a bad place. When I came to Christ, I realized that as pathetic as my life was, that's exactly when Jesus Christ encountered me. Didn't wait till I got all cleaned up and became like a good church kid. He saved me at my absolute worst, which just reflexively brought such love and adoration back to Jesus. And I'm telling you, these students love Jesus deeply, and that that joy is just contagious. But the other thing that students bring from Salt Company into Salt City Church is messiness. Messiness. Like, you're messy, okay? You make a lot of clutter. You make a lot of trouble. There's a whole lot of stuff that we have to do. We, it's, it's a hard thing to always have kids around, right? And what I'm saying is it's glorious. It's like when my, I'm an empty nester now, but when my four kids were little, I loved being a dad. But you know what? It was a lot of work all the time, right? Because they're always growing and changing and moving into things and clutter everywhere. I love it. What I'm saying is, Salt City, you need all the above. All that hunger for truth, humility, even the messes, it just makes for life. It's contagious. Okay, there's another thing that I want to throw on here about Salt City needing salt company. But you're going to have to go back with me, if you will, to 1 John, way back deep into the New Testament. In fact, if you, if you're, if you start in the book of Revelation and go back to the left, that's the easiest way to find this little book of 1 John. Because the next point I want to make is that the salt leaders especially bring strength and courage to the church. Salt leaders bring strength and courage. I want, there's a really strange little portion of 1 John chapter 2. doesn't fit with the whole rest of 1 John. It stands kind of on its own in a weird kind of way, a little enigma of a passage in 1 John. It's in chapter 2 starting in verse 12. And he says this, I'm writing to you little children since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you fathers because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. Look at that. You've conquered the evil one. And then he does a little repeat. I've written to you children because you have come to know the father. I've written to you fathers because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I've written to you young men because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. Here's what I I believe John is saying about the church when it's this multi-generational church experience. The church can lean on the young men, the young women, because they are courageously out there on the front lines of culture. Especially in university cities, especially when you're on the university campus, you are on the front lines of everything that secularism, the culture is, is throwing at the church. And there they are standing there, right? So you've got the ever-present, you know, just sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the kind of stuff, you know, that we all had to go through as, as university students. But there are particular things that all of a sudden these students right here, right now, standing in, sitting in this room, are having to wrestle with and figure out what a Christian response is. So, you guys, one clear example to me is gender, okay? Look, those, 
how we respond to questions about gender, that wasn't even, I didn't even have those questions. Nobody in our culture when I was a student was even asking questions about gender. And suddenly, here are these university students at a university who are saying all sorts of stuff just about gender, and they're having to kind of take the first blow. They're on the front lines to say, man, how, what is a Christianly response to the, to the kind of questions they're being asked at this university? And like, things like, what just happened in Afghanistan, right? How, what's a Christian response to some of the global things going on? To critical theory, what, what, there are so many issues that are just all of a sudden coming at us, and you know where they come at us first and hottest? On the university campus, and here's our students having to take the hits, right, and have to figure out how to, how to bring back a Christian response. Now, they need some of the fathers here in 1 John 2 who, who've been through some other battles to maybe help prop them up a little bit. But I'm telling you, you, you don't want some old five-star general out on the front lines, you know. Maybe, maybe he can give you some help, but we need the, the young ones out there. I love um, this quote from Francis Schaeffer. He's, he's one of my, like, old dead guy heroes, but Francis Schaeffer said this. By the way, he loved university students, loved what God was doing at university campuses. He said this, each generation of the church in each setting has the responsibility of communicating the gospel in understandable terms, considering the language and thought forms of that setting. Here's what Schaeffer is saying, especially as it pertains to students. Look, there's a timeless gospel message that's going out but we have to learn how to communicate it in a way that makes sense to the culture that we're sitting in right now. So the university students are helping us translate the gospel into an understandable way, addressing the needs that are out there, represented right there. And so they come back and they're on the front line so they help the whole church be stronger and more conversant with the gospel to win not just the university, but our cities to Jesus Christ. So they help us find the truth and they help us find the courage, right? So... Now what I want to do, though, is I want, to, I want to show you how the inverse of that thesis is also true. And here's what I mean. The salt company also needs Salt City Church, okay? So conversely, flipping that around, salt company students, university students, you actually desperately need the church. And for that, I want to start by going to the book of Hebrews. So if you're in 1 John, just flip to the left a little bit, and you'll come to the book of Hebrews. And I want you to go to chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, students really need to see the church as a family, not just as a university experience, but as a family. And one, you know, we saw it a little bit in 1 John. I want you to also see it in Hebrews chapter 5, all the way down to the end of chapter 5, verse 13. Verse 13 of, of Hebrews 5 says, Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an, an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Here's what he's saying. It takes time to really train your senses, to, to have your, your, your intuition trained by the scriptures. And nothing but time can get you that. Nothing but time of being in the word and feasting on the word 
over an extended time can actually train your senses to know good from evil, right? So what I'm saying is you need to lean into the fathers. You need to lean into others who have actually just been on this earth and followed Jesus for a long time to, to, to help guide you with their intuition, their instincts about the way things ought to be. What I'm saying is, guys, you're encountering stuff, students. You're encountering some things or are about to encounter some things that you've never even seen before. But there are others in this room who have already. So things like, um, well, okay, so I, I talked recently to this, this uh, student, Scotty. Scotty came out of an unbelieving home, came to Jesus at the university there, and his parents were really opposed to his faith. And so um, he, he was having to go back home, and he's trying to figure out, like, how do I do this? So he came and talked to me. Well, guys, here's the thing. That was my story. My parents were totally opposed to my faith, thought I was in a cult, thought I was, you know, tried to keep me from being a, a Jesus freak and all this kind of stuff. And I made tons of mistakes. I wish I could have a redo. But you know what? I learned a bunch in those days and I was able to talk to Scotty and he was able to talk to them. And now they're all of a sudden kind of on a journey toward faith on their own, which is crazy, right? But, but it just took somebody else to speak into it. Hey, you're not the first one that's gone down this path, right? Some other instincts have been trained a little bit by, by being on this earth a lot longer. So I was talking to another guy, Sean, that he was actually encountering a pretty significant trial. And we were sitting together, and he's this big kind of tough guy, and tears are running down his cheeks. And he goes, Jeff, I just got to tell you, I, I've never actually suffered. I mean, really. I've had kind of a charmed life to this point. I've never really suffered. And I don't, I don't know what to do right now, right? But thank God he's part of a church family with with some fathers, with some people who have been down the road for a little bit. And I'm saying salt students, you need the church. And here's what I'm saying. It's really cool. It's really exciting to be part of salt company. Go, you know, during the week and the, the retreats, everything. It's super charged, you know. God's, but here's what I want you to know. It do, that hype train doesn't end when college ends. You know, it's not just a college experience that you're having. Some of the most profound, deep, on-fire Christians in this room are old enough to be your parents. It didn't just end when college ended, okay? I need you to know there are people who are deeply committed to Jesus Christ, excited to come alongside you, and you need to connect yourself to them, right? Some of those consequential decisions you're going to make. You need some help, career, marriage, whatever, and you're in a church that's saying, oh man, we'd love that. You're out on the front lines, but hey, come back to the mess hall for a while. Let's talk about, you know, this guy you want to marry, whatever, okay? The next thing I want to say about how the Salt Company needs Salt City, and this one's really bold, but it's really true. Salt Company needs Salt City, needs the church for funding, <laughs> for money, right? That's true. The Salt Company is an expensive venture, reaching college students. College students, uh, you bring a lot to the table. One of those things is not money. You don't bring a lot, right? And it takes a, a big staff to do what you're doing, and it takes rental space to house you, and it, it takes a lot of resources to keep Salt Company going, and you guys aren't paying the bill, okay? But here's what I'm saying. What a fantastic, it is worth every dime, Salt City, worth every dime. You know what, back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, hey, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, moth, rust, it's all going to burn, right? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And what I'm saying is these students are treasures in heaven. These are the men and women who are going to change the world. Let's invest strongly, boldly, generously into student ministry because these guys are going to be the next teachers, in those classrooms that students are looking up to. And if they're Christ followers and on fire for Christ, think of the impact they're going to have in the classroom. These are the future 
doctors and nurses who are going to sit by people in great trial, and they're going to have the hope of Jesus Christ as they're, as they're doing what their profession allows them to do. It's with the grace and the presence of Jesus Christ. The future policymakers for our nation and for our school systems on school boards or whatever, at every level, these guys are going to be people making those kind of decisions. They're going to be the shop owners that, that, that you know, all of a sudden are employing people and everything else. And also, the future missionaries. Some of these guys are all of a sudden thinking, I'm, I'm going to go on a summer trip and I'm going to do something crazy. And you know what? That actually might change the whole trajectory of my life. I might give my whole life to reaching an unreached people group out there somewhere. All those people, you guys, are sitting in the room right now. All those incredible future, like ones that are going to give a great deposit for Jesus Christ are in the room right now. Man, what a gift. And so, yeah, it takes a little bit of funding to make that happen. What a small price to pay for the eternal reward that's going to come down. So I believe that students are going to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're already here. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you that are students either came to know Jesus Christ or certainly got on fire for Jesus Christ since coming to the university to be, as a college student? Raise your hands. How many have had your life turned around? By, look, at, look around. The gospel impacted all these people right here, right, since they've come. Salt City, be the church that they need, right? So here's what I want to do. Um, I've got one more quote. It's by Abraham Kuyper. He also was a, a mover and a shaker, an old dead guy about 100, over 100 years ago. Here's what he said. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Here's what he meant by that. Students especially lean into this. It means that every sphere, every domain of existence, if you're a teacher, it's not just that you're a teacher that happens to be a Christian. You are a Christian teacher. What does the lordship of Jesus Christ look like as a teacher? If you're a doctor, you're not just a Christian doctor. You're a you're a doctor who is dominated by the lordship of Jesus Christ. What does it look like to bring the lordship of Christ into medicine? Whatever it is, right? May this be the kind of church that the lordship of Jesus Christ just keeps permeating out into every sphere of life. But who is adequate to do that kind of thing? Certainly not us. So I want to turn to the very last passage, guys. It's, it's in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you'll go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, so way to the left of where you were at earlier in Hebrews, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And once you find it in your Bibles or on your app, 1 Corinthians 1, I'm going to start in 26. Will you stand with me? Because I, I just want this to be, I don't know, kind of our last call to Jesus. Uh, go ahead and stand. And I just want to read these verses over us because the reality is all of us desperately need Jesus. Students, you are so desperately in need of Jesus to be on the front lines. To, be, to take your first breath with Jesus spiritually in the midst of a college campus, and you're vulnerable. You need Jesus. Church, for you to be the kind of church that attracts these students, to be the kind of church that through them also you start reaching the whole city, and now all of a sudden parents are coming, and others are coming, and neighbors are coming. Who is adequate for this kind of thing? Who would have guessed that, that Salt City would spring to life the way that it is? Man, nobody's more surprised than Drew and those of us who came up to see this happen. So here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, 
Consider your calling. Hey, let's be honest. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth, right? You know what he's saying? You're a bunch of losers. <laughs> I mean, seriously, let's cut to the chase. He's just saying, look around, right? I mean, seriously, look around. Is it because God looked around and said, man, if I want to pull this off, I've got to find the best of everybody. I've got to find the brightest. I've got to find the strongest. You think that's what God did? Obviously not. Look around, right? No, instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has actually chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant. How's that for a buildup? Ah, yeah, that's, uh, wait, you know. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. Guys, it's from him that you're in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption, in order that, as it is written, let this be our declaration, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. <laughs> let us always know that our boasting is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. So, Jesus, we pray to you now, and we're asking, God, would you do the miraculous? I know a lot of, a lot of Christians have abandoned the college, the university, and all those students kind of run for their lives, leaving just empty buildings. But here's a church, Lord, that is saying, oh no, we're going to go against the stream. That's exactly where we're heading. To establish a beachhead right there at the university. So for what you're doing through all the different university students, and, and even at St. Thomas and around, Lord, what, what in the world, what a shocker that you are doing such amazing things in places that we, ne we never saw that coming. Lord, I pray, would you continue to pour your spirit onto every one of those efforts? Would you protect the students, but not just protect them, Lord. Would you embolden them? Great courage. Fill them with wisdom and truth. And then help that to just permeate this whole church family. Let this truly be a city on a hill. <laughs> Let this truly be a place of refuge, a, 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 a place just white hot with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, as you continue to do that, Lord, we're not ever, ever, ever going to sit back and say, look what we've done, look at the work of our... No, no, no. It is clear to us right now, and it will be forever. God, to you be the glory. You have done great things. And we are honored, so honored that you've allowed us to be just even a little part of that. So continue to do it, Lord, and we will give you incredible, heartfelt thanks for all that you're doing. In Christ's name we pray.